This week, the Cato Institute features the best of Cato Daily Podcast's previously aired episodes. Enjoy the reruns. Welcome, this is Anastasia Yuglova for Cato Daily Podcast, Wednesday, June 6th. An important book forum at the Cato Institute yesterday presented a new book from American Civil Liberties Union Executive Director Anthony Romero. In defense of our America, the fight for civil liberties in the age of terror goes behind the scenes of some of the most important civil liberties cases in recent years. In the book, during the forum, and in this podcast, Anthony addresses what the ACLU stands for and how the organization is working with Americans to help defend the liberties that are vital to a free society. Your book weaves together numerous instances when American civil liberties have been at stake. Why now? Why this book? Well, this is such a critical moment in our democracy, where some of the basic rights that many of us took for granted, and we thought it could never happen in America, the repeal of habeas corpus, the idea that the president considers himself above the law and can bypass Congress and the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, the fact that we now engage in explicit policies of torture and rendition, that there's infiltration of peace groups and dissident groups by the FBI and the Joint Terrorism Task Forces. All of these points are very critical issues that are the heart of what America is all about, what defines us as a people, what makes us a great and proud nation. And so much of that has been rolled back in the aftermath of 9-11 that it was critical to talk about these civil liberties issues in a way that would become compelling for the American people. Not a policy wonk book. It's not a book of laws or policies, although we talk about some of the laws and policies in the book. It's really a book of stories. It's a book of ordinary Americans who struggle to live life and to live with the fullness of their dignity. And we want to tell the stories and make them come alive so that people can see the importance of sometimes these abstract principles of the First and Fourth and Fifth Amendments. And that's why the book endeavors to spark that conversation about what it means to be an American in defense of our America, as we say in the title. Your book isn't just about, of course, the Bush administration. It's a collection of many instances when civil liberties have been threatened. So would you say that Americans as a rule tend to just disregard the Bill of Rights, except when it comes directly in contact with their lives? Do we take it for granted in some way? I think we do take it for granted. I think most Americans take for granted the rights that each of us wants in our own life. And yet in moments of crisis, we're willing to sacrifice someone else's rights for our security. That plays out in the war on terror, for instance. But it's also true that in other contexts, and other circumstances, like with the question of freedom of religion, we focus on the question of intelligent design in the book and the kind of effort that we had a seven-week trial where we put Darwin back on trial and impeded an effort to insert religion into a science classroom. And that goes back to the very basics about in a country that's as diverse and as pluralistic as this one, we have to ensure that there is no one faith that's propagated by the government. But that's how we're going to retain the independence and the vibrancy of our religious institutions and our religious beliefs. But the ACAU has come under fire most recently in the article by author and attorney Wendy Kaminer in the Wall Street Journal for aggressively arguing on behalf of liberal causes, gay rights, and certain kinds of free speech while not being quite as vigorous when it comes to, for example, hate speech. So, for instance, why has the ACLU been silent in the case of Tyler Chase Harper? Well, you know, I think it's important to point out that Wendy, and we're not silent on that case. In fact, we're working on briefs. The San Diego Philly will file a brief, and that case is due later on this month. The ACLU has often come under criticism from within the organization and from outside. The fact is that we still are an organization dedicated to the free speech rights of all people. One of the cases that's now pointed out in the Wall Street Journal op-ed is our defense of Fred Phelps. 
Fred Phelps, the minister who's organizing that military funeral, saying that the reason why soldiers are being killed is because we are granting rights to gays and lesbians. We hate what he stands for. We think he's wrong. But we also believe he has a right to speak his mind and to protest at military funerals. And the ACLU has jumped in to defend the rights of Fred Phelps and his cronies to take what are very sad moments and still express his First Amendment and free speech rights at those military funerals. The article failed to point out, for instance, that we jumped to the defense of Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh is no friend of the ACLU. But when the government was going after his medical records and trying to prosecute him for his use of drugs, we still believe that Rush Limbaugh had a right to medical privacy. And the organization continues to fight for the rights and the free speech of all people, even people who disagree with us, even people within the organization. That's what the First Amendment's all about. Still, many have continued to criticize the ACLU for being, for example, completely AWOL during the Muslim cartoon controversy. So would you say the ACLU is becoming, in some way, politically correct? No. No. In fact, we are only concerned with the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. We're a conservative organization where we conserve the rights for all people. And the Muslim cartoon, it's interesting how it plays out. The initial controversy around the Muslim cartoons was about the censorship of the Danish cartoons in an overseas newspaper with the American Civil Liberties Union. We're not Amnesty International, we're not Human Rights Watch. And then when the issue became about domestic censorship and the shutting down of domestic dissent and debate in America around the cartoons, we jumped in. There were students in the University of Illinois who were being sanctioned because they ran the cartoon in the school newspaper. I wrote a letter to the school president. We weighed in at that point because at that point it was a domestic controversy. And I think often people look to the ACLU about censorship and about the efforts around free speech rights overseas, and that's not really our role. For instance, now in Iran, I've gotten a number of calls when the Iranian government is detaining some American scholars and professors in Iran and are asking the ACLU to weigh in on that. That's just not, that's not our mission. Anything that happens within American borders and on American powers and policies, we'll weigh in on. Anything that's the shutting down of newspapers in China or the publishing of cartoons in Denmark or the shutting down of dissent and debate in Zimbabwe, that's the work for other organizations. And what is your vision for the ACLU going forward? What challenges do you foresee ahead? Well, I think one of the key pieces for the ACLU is that we've got to make sure we get outside of the chorus and our core constituency. These issues are much too important for us to only allow us to become the liberal wing of the Democratic Party. That's why one of the first things I did when I went to the ACLU is I hired Bob Barr. I put him on retainer. When he lost his congressional seat, I hired him. My Berkeley chapter had a whole effort where they got together and they ripped up their membership cards and they shipped them off to me in protest because he was the author of the Defense of Marriage Act. He was the one who led the impeachment process against Bill Clinton. And I wrote them all back and I said, this is an essential part of us being effective, that we disregard the conservative or libertarian wing of the Republican Party to our detriment. And so for us, it's really about broadening the tent about making sure that these issues are not the province of any one small group of people who are the washed and that the unwashed don't understand civil liberties. Our job is to make sure that the entire American public across the political spectrum and of all walks of life understand the importance of civil liberties. Anthony, thank you so much for your remarks. I hope you've enjoyed this Cato Daily Podcast. Please remember you can always voice your opinion on this and any podcast episode. Send your comments to me at auglova at cato.org. Thank you for listening.